0: Well, good morning. Oh, didn't know if anybody was there for a moment. Good morning. morning. (laughs) Well, happy Boxing Day. Merry Boxing Day. I'm not sure what the greeting is, but uh, sure glad that you're with us here at Central Campus and those that are joining us online. I wanted to say hi to uh, few folks, I know I got some texts from folks from Scottsdale, Arizona, Saskatchewan, different folks joining us from today. And my family is joining with me online from BC, and my other family is right here with us. Uh, my nephew, Brennan, who just got engaged to Rachel, is with us for the first time, so I want to say welcome to them. I'm glad that you guys are here with us as well today. Well, consider this with me, the irony of today. How does one... Land in the preaching schedule at Center Street Church, closing a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit, delivered on the biggest shopping day of the year, the day before one of the biggest eating days of the year, from a guy who is preaching who has struggled with his own self-control issues. I've been shaking my head all this time, prepping, going, okay, Lord, what do you have in mind for today today? this is the final fruit of the Spirit, and it's not an easy one to display at this time of the year. Self-control in the holidays don't seem to be very compatible, at least in my life. Let me explain. It's been my experience and heard it that many uh, average people uh, put on a few extra pounds during the month of December into the first week of January. See, self-control would, present, uh, would prevent that from happening. It's by my experience and others that have shared with me is they blew the budget at Christmas time and was stressed when the credit card bill comes in on January. Self-control <laughs> would prevent that from happening. Before Christmas, I went to physio. I had a running injury from the fall and I fell on some ice in early December. My physiotherapist who was treating me gave me these specific exercises to do each day to help me heal. And I did not do them as she prescribed, and I'm still not fully back to where I should be, and self-control would have helped me to get better quicker. But today, we're going to put a bow on this sermon series, on the fruit of the Spirit, with our attention focused on self-control. Now, self-control isn't lacking only during the holiday season in my life and many others. In fact, people in this materialistic, self-indulgent society find it hard to exercise self-control at any time of the year. Nevertheless, God commands us to exercise self-control, regardless of the time of the season or the society we currently find ourselves in. I would agree with Thomas Trask and Wade Goodall when they comment, God planned for the the list of the fruit in Galatians, the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5.22 and 23, to begin with love and end with self-control. This last fruit of the Spirit is not at the end as a sign. It's at least important. In fact, it's, a, it's at the end to tie everything together. The ability to have self-control comes out of a result of our growing in the preceding eight qualities. The fruit all work together as people experience different situations and temptations in life. No matter what comes our way, whether it's persecution or stress, whether it's a wrong desire, we should all handle the situation as Jesus would He used all the fruit as he encountered various people in difficult situations. When we are loving, we're more joyful. When we have love and joy, we have peace. When we have love, joy, and peace, patience is their their companion. Kindness will naturally emulate from a disposition of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. With these portions of the fruit functioning as a foundation... Self-control allows us to live in balance and gives us the strength to stand against the excesses of life. Now, I'll be using the text from 1 Corinthians today as our text to build on self-control from Galatians. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Uh, Would you stand with me as we read this scripture together? Again, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. should be on the screen and online for you. But you, but you do, not, do you not know that in the, in the race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time of season where we recognize that you are the greatest gift ever given. And Lord, today, as we kind of look in light of Christmas, looking back, but looking forward to the new year, We focus our attention on this self-control piece that Paul wrote to us under the power of the Holy Spirit. God, give us ears to hear. May there be one thing from this message today that would resonate with everyone that's hearing it. And may we take comfort and strength in you as we pursue self-control. And may you do immeasurably more than we can ever hope or imagine. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Now friends, Paul uses runners as examples of how to, re- to live as Christians. This really resonates with me as, as running is part of my life and my rhythms. But running requires steady, intense concentration and focus. Runners can't afford to be distracted by the things off to the side of the course, or they will be ineffective and their running will surely diminish. Keeping focus requires control not allowing distractions to interfere with the responsibility at hand. I have heard it said. You can't become spiritually mature by your own effort, and neither can you become spiritually mature without your own effort. Growing in the fruit of the Spirit is not a passive experience. It's not an accidental occurrence. These qualities just don't overtake you without any engagement on your part. In Galatians 5... Paul refers to these qualities as fruit. Because in order to grow fruit, it must be cultivated. You can't just throw a handful of apple seeds in the dirt and come back a couple months later and expect an orchard. No, you have to cultivate that fruit. You've got to take care of when you plant it. It's the same with the fruit of the Spirit. It must be cultivated. You can't do it all on your own effort. But neither can you do it without your own effort. That's why Paul closes this list with the quality of self-control. It's different than all of the others. All the other qualities, you'll notice, are rooted in the nature of God. God is love, God is kind, God is patient, he is good, he is faithful, and so on. But self-control is not a quality that God needs. He doesn't need self-control. Now the ancient Greeks loved this word self-control and they wrote about it often. Socrates considered it to be the foundation of her, of human virtue. His teaching was that if all the that all the knowledge and wisdom in the world won't do you any good unless you control your own passions and desires. And from the very beginning friends, humans have understood that we have passions and the desires that don't serve us well. As I've shared some of mine at the beginning. Yet if we wheel if we wield willy-nilly to every impulse we're going to create a huge mess in our lives. Now this isn't a 21st century phenomenon. Unbridled passion has been recognized for thousands of years and it will continue to do so till the end of time. That is why we need this quality of the fruit of the spirit to be at work in our lives and us cultivating it in our lives. And that's why this quality is different from the rest. See God doesn't need to practice self-control because his desires are never out of control. On the other hand, our desires most certainly can be because we have sin in our lives. God is holy and good. However, when we practice self-control, we are able to grow more like him when we practice this. Our initial desire, many times, is not to express love, not to spread joy, not to make peace, not to be patient, not to show kindness, not to do good not to be faithful or treat others gently. In fact, as a former youth pastor for many years, I n- parents never told me I had, my, I had to teach my child or my youth to do wrong things. They didn't, it came naturally because of sin. And that kind of sin is gonna sabotage our rela- sabotage our relationships, wreck our health and destroy our lives if we won't keep it under self-control. Your natural desires unchecked will produce inevitable results of chaos, turmoil, and misery. Without self-control, the other eight qualities of the fruit of the Spirit will always be hit and miss. One day you'll knock the ball out of the park. The next day you'll strike out with the bases loaded. However, when we start to focus on self-control, it can can enable you to become more consistent in your life on the long haul. If you want to desire and live and growing in the fruits of the Spirit. The question is, how do we cultivate self-control? And today I want to talk to you about three perspectives, three ideas with self-control. I call them the three G's of self-control. And and, and maybe this will help you in the area of self-control. I'm grateful for the work of John Rittenbaugh, Jerry Bridges, and Christopher Railford. And my good friend Jeff Baker, whose original work helped me to develop the three G's of self-control. The first G we're gonna look at is to get to grasp the significance. Grasp the significance. We're often motivated by the immediate payoff of our desire, which is whatever is calling us to, the short-term gain instead of the long-term pain. We know that foregoing that gorging on turkey and mashed potatoes for days isn't good for us but it tastes so good, it's Christmas time, it's, it's only once a year, so, so I'll eat it now and I'll worry about the long-term results later. And if I have to do damage control, which for me sometimes is buying bigger pants, somewhere down the road I'll take control of this and I'll be okay. But that not only applies to the decisions we make about our health, it can also apply to our marriage and our family lives. The things we say to our spouse and our family and our friends the time we spend with them, the priority we give them. Many times, I have blown up in anger. I've been critical, I've been cynical, been absent from friendships, been distracted by other things. I take the immediate payoff in indulging in an impulse and that entitlement without giving serious consideration to what the long-term results of that decision could be. And of course this applies to our spiritual lives as well on how we in our attitude towards sin. When you take a serious look at what is at stake you'll realize that immediate payoff isn't nearly as satisfying as it as it appears. Now I'm saying in order to cultivate self-control we need to look at the big picture. We need to grasp the situation. A man, uh, the story is told of a man who struggled for years with obesity. He said, if I, He said, I used to joke that if someone would pay me $1,000 for every pound I lost, I could lose 100 pounds very fast. And the same person would pay me, the, would pay me money to keep the work weight off, I would keep weight off forever. Now most of us who struggle with weight can relate to this, but then he also said this. One day after a health scare, it dawned on me that what was at stake was worth a lot more than $100,000. He said he realized it was his health that it was at stake, his future, the years of his life that he would be taking away from his family by prematurely bringing on death. When he was able to get a handle on what's at stake, he was able to get a handle on a healthy lifestyle and kept him moving towards his goal, which was not just weight loss, but life. Paul said... Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. In the next verse, he says that he endures endures self-discipline so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now he's saying, in essence, that what's at stake here? I know what's at stake, the eternal crown. It's too important to miss for the mere moment of instant gratification. It's living with an eye on the eternal, right? Not just the temporal, as Pastor Henry said. Dr. Henry Cloud talks about the importance of the understanding the inevitable sequence of cause and effect. He says every action has future implications. He goes on to say, any one thing you do is only a scene in a larger movie. To understand that action, you have to play it out all the way to the end of the movie. Now he's talking about being able to understand what ultimately is at stake with every action. We kid ourselves into thinking that we'll beat the system this time. This inappropriate conversation won't come back to haunt me. This binge won't hurt me. This spending spree won't sabotage my financial freedom and so on and so on and we give in to the whim. We need to count the cost. We need to grasp the significance. If you want to cultivate and grow self-esteem, you have to understand the cause and effect and the nature of every action, the inevitable long-term result. Now, friends, grasp the significance. Ask yourself what's at stake. How can this action, decision, or direction affect me in the long run? This thinking leads us to the second G, of self-control, which is to gain some understanding. We have the capacity to learn from every situation. There's no throwaway lessons and seasons in the Christian life. There's no throwaway relationships. There's no throwaway moments. Every moment matters. Thoughts move us to action. And every action can make a difference. Paul says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. He's saying, in effect, that I'm not just stumbling my way through life, scrambling around here and there without any idea of where I'm going. I do what I do with a sense of purpose and direction. Later, Paul writes in Philippians 4, 8, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul, throughout these verses, are saying that our thoughts shape our lives. It's a very intentional process. Craig Groeschel, in his book, Winning the War for Your Mind, says, Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Let me say that again. Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Jerry Bridges says that when we realize the battle for self-control is fought primarily within our own minds, it's a battle with our own passions, thoughts, and desires, and it starts here. My mind can be a storehouse where bad thoughts or ideas capsulate and pondered and thinking about them are nurtured to grow into bad thinking and bad actions. I think that's why Hebrews 12 says, let us throw off, and Pastor Kent mentioned in his prayer, throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. Don't keep that stuff around. Get rid of it, because it leads to stinking thinking. When I fall into losing self-control in any area of my life, whether it's eating or anger or choosing to believe the worst in people, it's my thinking about that whole issue, rehearsing it in my mind, well before I make those steps of action become reality. The thought life, then, is the first line of defense in the battle for self-control. Now, I've used the weight loss program, Noom, and one takeaway from Noom is their ability to ask great questions and why questions. They ask questions about your health and your life, your rhythms, all the different pieces, and when it got into eating, they asked really big questions like, what kind of eater are you? What are your likes and dislikes? How do you eat? What do you eat? What do you like? And makes you self-aware of why you eat. The question I had to ask myself is, why do I eat? Why do I turn to, to, to food when I'm stressed? Now, I've heard of testimonies of people who have said when it came to drinking, it helped them to forget. Or those who put others down, you know, with sharp words or... or or mean comments. It made them feel like they were in control. It made them feel better about themselves by belittling someone else. Asking these and other types of questions can lead us to gain understanding of maybe where you get your comfort from. Right? Why am I feeling this? Who really helps me to heal my memory so I don't have to use alcohol to forget them? Who should be in control of my life? Which person do I really want to have Tell me that I'm worth it. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. In those three examples, we can see by casting our cares or anxieties on God that the comfort can come from God, not from the food. That the healing comes from God and not from time trying to numb the pain. And it comes from God, your self-worth and your identity. Not what you can do, not what other people make you feel. It's God that does that. And see friends, I've had moments of victory and yet there's still seasons in my life that I live in this yo-yo tension. There's been times when I've been on a diet and trying not to eat something and I'll think, well, it, it won't just hurt to treat myself this once. Now eating or not eating something, eating or not eating is something minor compared to the other areas where temptation will come in and push our boundaries of self-control. It's a compromise to say, just this once. Just this once, I'll take this, or I'll do this. Just this once, I'll look at that website, or just this once, I'll pad my expenses, or just this once, I'll splurge and buy this certain item. Just this once are three words that can really sabotage our self-control. My practice before I start a new plan, as I was kind of thinking about this, is I'll say to Cheryl, okay, well, I got my plan, here's what it's gonna go, and just one last time, before I start this, I'm going, let's go to McDonald's. Let's go and do this, just, just this last time. And, not bef- and And it's not long before just this once, or one last time, becomes a situation out of control. In Romans 7, when I was writing this, I I remember on my whiteboard beside my desk at home, I wrote there this scripture verse. We know that the law is is spiritual, from Romans 7, and I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin, and I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. I so resonated with Paul with that. And there's no just this once clause in the Christian life every moment matters, including this one. If you wanna cultivate self-control and different thinking, don't kid yourself by believing that it won't matter just this once. I saw a shirt on Amazon in bright white letters saying how much sin can I get away with and still go to heaven? Now, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, a bit of a joke, but I wonder if many with this mentality Say how many times can i say just this once and still qualified and still be qualified to say i'm i have self control Daniel Anks in a secular article called who's in charge here wrote these words Life in modern western cultures is like living at a giant all you can eat buffet offering more calories credit Sex, intoxicants, and just about anything else that anyone could take to excess that our forebears might never imagined. With more possibilities for pleasure and fewer rules and constraints than ever before, the happy few will be those able to exercise self control. Now, I'm saying this just this once never works in your favor. I encourage you to strike it from your vocabulary, remove it from the options menu of your daily activities and from how you think. So friends, first, grasp the significance of self-control. Two, gain understanding and ask the why questions. And thirdly, grow in confidence. Grow in confidence. Grow from every minor victory you have. In Matthew 25, 21, it says, you've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. There's a simple principle in the Christian life is that smaller victories lead to bigger victories. We see this in King David's life. He was a young shepherd boy watching over the flock of sheep. When predators approached, he defeated the lion and he defeated the bear and he kept those sheep secure. These smaller victories prepared him for the day that he would deliver the army of Israel from the, from the predator known as Goliath, as recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 34 to 37. Each small victory in the area of self-control can lead to greater victory. This is why Paul said, no, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. He was speaking somewhat metaphorically here, but the point is that he practices self-discipline in each area, and there's victory with it. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. We need to begin, friends, to implement small victories and celebrate small victories within our daily and weekly routines. Dr. Lucas Van Bishoten, who serves as our staff chaplain, who I deeply admire and respect, shared this illustration in March a couple of years ago at one of our staff chapels. He said, I heard about someone who, guessed, uh, who was a guest on the Focus on the Family. The guest had a serious weight problem. He was a couple hundred pounds overweight, and his one degree change was to only have one dessert. And after he got used to that, He would then go for a one-block walk, then a two-block walk, then a three-block walk. He slowly upped the one-degree changes and ran a marathon. I've not forgotten that. I've not forgotten that since Lucas shared that. A one-degree change. Or as I said, a 1% change. I said that to one of my summer students just a week or two ago as we were talking about a situation you know, I enjoy serving with this young man. I just said, what's the one degree, the 1% change you can apply to your life to make it a bit better? And that's because, friends, when we develop change in one area, we can start to add it into other areas. Maybe it's just starting to make the bed. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a walk. Maybe it's clearing your desk. Maybe it's Whatever it is, for everybody here and online, it's going to be one thing. But it's 1%. It's one degree of change. That's because every time you practice discipline in any area, no matter how small, you're paving the way for something bigger. Almost every failure to be like Christ can be traced back to a lack of self-control. But on the other hand, and the good news is, almost every success at being like Christ can be attributed to self-control. And I think we glean insights and practices and strength from God when we look at the victories, at the times that we have to make those decisions, and we celebrate with him when we have those victories. As Pastor Henry has said so many times, it's not about perfection. It's about direction. The emphasis in the struggle for self-control should be on the word growing, not condemnation, not failure, but Growing. We will never fully attain self-control in all the areas of our lives on our own. Furthermore, we must realize that the battle of self-control is different for each one of us. One person may have no problem with bodily self-control, but they may struggle with thoughts of spiritual pride. Another may never be bothered by impure thoughts, but may indulge in emotional resentment as self-pity. As we're tempted to judge others for their lack of self-control in areas that we don't have any problems... Let us remember our own struggles and be charitable. Be filled with grace to each other, not condemnation. In May of this year, I ran a half marathon. I, run a half, I, had, I had run a, mar- a half marathon in September of 2020 on the seawall in Vancouver, and I, d- I did well. I had a personal best time of about two hours and six minutes. I had trained mostly through the first wave of COVID, through the summer, which I'd never done before, and in spite of a couple of setbacks, I was able to complete the run. And I learned from my previous time, which was two hours, eight minutes, and eight seconds. Now, the goal for this half marathon in May was to break the two-hour mark. And for a 56-year-old man, that was a pretty lofty goal. I went into very specific training. My buddy, Daryl, who had competed in numerous Ironman competitions, helped me and inspired me and kept me accountable to the different runs. You know, I would do the 20 weeks leading out before the run. Now, I had my, and during this time, friends, I had my best 5K run. I had my best 10K run. I had my longest run without stopping. I had more victories because of self-control which increased my confidence, which helped me stick with the plan. So the day in May arrives. Cheryl and I head down to English Bay in Vancouver. I get all my running stuff on, I ask Cheryl to pray for me, and she heads off for coffee, and I say, I'll see you in about two hours later, knowing that I'll finish a little bit away and I'll have to walk back to where the car is. Well, off I go. And the run went well. It wasn't as sunny as I hoped it to be. I kind of visioned the, the beautiful North Shore mountains and the sunshine. It was a little overcast. wasn't really warm. So I keep going. The run's going well. And so I was about between four and five kilometers away from the end, around this bend, coming back into the English Bay Area, when this thought came into my mind going, you, you are tracking. You're doing okay. You might even be ahead of pace. You're tired and you want to finish strong. You've read different things, so you could, you could run. You could take a walk. And so, I take a quick walk break. As I approached the 21.25 mark, and my watch, I turned to my watch to turn it off, because it wasn't a race, I was doing it on two watches to make sure the time was right. I hit my stopwatch, and it read two hours and 10 seconds. I'd missed my time by 10 seconds. Now, to say I was disappointed was an understatement at that, at that moment. I was mad, more like it. I, I, that stupid walk sunk me. But now looking back, I can see, as I, as I was going to use another illustration to close this message, it was kind of like the Lord prompted me going, you've learned this. You know, I can see each step, step of victory in this run. And yup, I did lose my focus and walked a little. But I have gained so much more through that small victory in the training for this run. I'm a better runner because of that experience. And so there wasn't condemnation. There was a I'm gonna get better and better with this. I've come to see now how all three Gs in my personal experience kind of came together with this run. See, friends, victory comes to you step by step, growing in confidence. It's not all about you. It's about God walking with you, never leaving you, cheering you on, offering you the strength you need for victory. Every time you're faithful in a smaller area, you prepare yourself for greater victory. Self-control is one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit that sometimes sustains the others, as I'd mentioned. Self-control takes us from merely saying that we want to love people bring joy, peace, and all the rest, to practically putting these qualities into practice, even when our desires lead us down a different direction. Like every aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, as I mentioned before, self-control is a quality that you cannot develop by your own effort. Neither can you develop it without your own effort. It's your job to till the soil to plant the seeds, to ask the questions, to water, to fertilize, to prune, to be real with yourself. But you're not on your own. God will empower your every effort. And when when you do what you can do, he'll do what you can't do. Three things, friends. Grasp the significance, what's at stake. Number two, gain understanding. Ask the questions why. And thirdly, grow in confidence that he wants to walk with you hand in hand and each step and each victory helps you to become better. Trusting in the Holy Spirit, taking root, every aspect of, this, of the fruits of the Spirit can grow into abundance. Your life can be characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control.